this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindu's in focus podcast i'm anand krishnan your host for today in this episode we are looking at the latest problems faced by big tech in china an issue that came to the fore last year with the well-known troubles of e-commerce giant Alibaba. This time around, the ride-hailing app Didi is under the lens of regulators shortly after a big IPO in the US. What is driving the trouble between big tech and Communist Party regulators? And what is the future that lies in store for them? Helping us make sense of this issue today is Santosh Pai, who is an honorary fellow at the Institute of Chinese Studies in New Delhi, and a corporate lawyer who closely tracks regulatory issues in China. Thank you so much, Santosh, for joining us today. Thank you, Anand, for having me again on the Hindus In Focus podcast. Always good to have you, Santosh. Just to begin, before we get into the troubles of Didi, the company that's been making world headlines the last week. Just so our listeners have an idea, you're someone, um, you're someone who's lived in China for a while and no doubt used DD a lot. So give us an idea of what exactly is DD and where does it fit in in terms of China's big tech and tech ecosystem? So DD, the uh, literal translation is younger brother. So DD is China's largest ride-hailing app with almost uh, you know, between 80 to 90% market share. Uh, it describes itself as the world's largest mobility technology platform. Uh, it operates in 15 countries, about 4,000 cities with the 493 million active users and 15 million drivers. So just to compare it with Uber, uh, Uber operates in many more countries, around 70 countries. But in terms of number of drivers, Uber only has 5 million. So about one third of what DD has. And Didi's major investors include SoftBank, uh, Uber itself, because Didi happened to acquire Uber's operations in China, and Tencent. And uh, Didi also has other businesses, which include shuttle bus services, bike rentals, uh, designated drivers, auto repair. So it's quite a big group in, the, in China's internet industry. And Santosh, it's safe to say that when it comes to transportation in China, it really has revolutionized uh, mobility in China, given, I think, those of us who've lived in China, uh, even say 10 years ago, and you had to struggle to get the traditional Beijing yellow taxis. This was, uh, in many ways, this was a huge revolution, wasn't it? Yes, of course. Didi started operations in 2012. And as you rightly said, it started off just by taking the existing taxi drivers and linking them up on a platform. And then its plans got more ambitious. In 2014, it introduced its own cars or what they call a fleet model, where drivers could actually get their own cars and start joining the platform. It went through a series of acquisitions, including uh, its competitors, Quaidi uh, and uh, Uber uh, in China. And of course, in 2018 and 19, they ventured into uh, uh, autonomous driving and all other uh, ancillary services like financing, uh, auto repair. So yes, they've come a long way in the last uh, nine years or so. And Santosh, as far as we knew, they seemed to be riding high ahead of this huge IPO that everyone was talking about in the US. 
So can you tell us what exactly happened heading into this IPO and then right in the aftermath of that? So Didi has been planning its IPO for a long time uh, and perhaps uh, it was you know planning to list much earlier. Uh, but as it happened, it filed its IPO prospectus uh, with the New York Stock Exchange uh, on June 10th. And within a short period of uh, 20 days, and this is important when we come to our discussion later, it was listed on June 30th, uh, and uh, it raised about $4 billion, which uh, valued the whole company at around $70 billion, which is about 10 to 20% short of uh, Uber's valuation. And uh, uh, just in this, between this period of filing its prospectors and its listing, on June 16th itself, China's uh, market regulation regulator launched an investigation into BD around pricing and competitive practices. And uh, four days after its listing, uh, the Cyberspace Administration ordered all the app stores in China to remove DD, citing a violation of uh, data regulations, and it stopped uh, new registrations on DD, and it is now under a review period. So this was completely unexpected, and this has caused a lot of excitement in uh, you know, many quarters of China watching, uh, because it not only has implications for the tech industry, it has uh, geopolitical implications for the U.S.-China relationship. Uh, and of course, uh, data being in the center of it, it has implications for how uh, China will treat uh, data-related issues in the future. Those are three extremely important issues you've just flagged, uh, including the U.S.-China angle, uh, the data angle, as well as a broader significance for China's tech ecosystem. We will come to all of those issues but before we get into that, uh, Santosh, uh, as you rightly pointed out, there were reports that DD had got into some trouble with regulators before the IPO. Uh, reporting, uh, subsequent reporting has suggested maybe they were even told not to go ahead with it, as what happened uh, with Alipay, Alibaba's financial arm last year. But DD went ahead with it nonetheless. From your following of Chinese companies, if that is the case, would that really be a red rag for the Communist Party as far as it's concerned if a company was to go against what regulators were telling it? Yes. So there is a lot of ambiguity in what exactly happened. Uh, there are two sides to it. One is that, uh, of course, uh, the Cyber Administration uh, Authority asked Didi to put its IPO on hold pending a review. Uh, Didi would have argued that you have no formal process for a review, so we'll go ahead. Uh, because otherwise uh, the entire IPO timeline will become unpredictable. And uh, uh, interestingly, in June, the draft regulations for the data security law were uh, published and uh, made transportation data as one of the sensitive areas of data. So there is a lot of speculation on why Didi jumped the gun and uh, went ahead with its uh, IPO. Uh, but there is also a conspiracy theory saying that maybe the Chinese regulator waited for the IPO listing before taking action. Because uh, if you step back and see who is losing out in this, uh, they are the U.S. investors who invested in the IPO. So if Chinese regulators were to have taken action against Didi before the IPO listing, then yes, uh, Didi have suffered, no doubt. Uh, its investors and uh, shareholders would have suffered. But, uh, you know, the damage would have been limited to uh, China or Chinese stakeholders and its investors. But uh, uh, having delayed action, maybe it could also be speculated that uh, U.S. investors were also harmed. And this is exactly the reason why we are seeing a number of uh, class action suits emerging even as we speak uh, against uh, the, this very question, whether BD actually was aware 
that such a stringent action be taken in within three or four days after its IPO listing. That's a fascinating point. And as you said, Santosh, given how China's government and party state works, you would think that if the regulators did really not want the IPO to go ahead, even though it was happening in the US, they could have put a stop to it if they really wanted to. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, I believe so. And uh, also, uh, it is common knowledge, at least amongst the uh, ecosystem, which helps uh, US companies go for IPO and uh, Chinese companies go for IPO in the US, that a lot of these warnings are not done in a very formal manner. They are held through discussions and warnings and so on. So uh, it's all come down to judgment. If the advisors who are working on this uh, gave a go-ahead saying, I think we can go ahead with the IPO, the Chinese government is not going to stop us, then they can go ahead. But if the Chinese government, as you said, uh, really has an intention of not making this happen, they could have uh, very well made that happen. Coming to data issues, Santosh, you flagged that as one of the important issues that you saw tied to this uh, current, in, in a way, tug of war going on between big tech in China and regulators. Some people said uh, Alibaba's troubles were also tied to data. In terms of DD, uh, transportation data, one would think could be sensitive in some ways. Uh, recently, there was this image going, uh, doing the rounds on social media that showed how a DD had information on how different Chinese government ministries were using the app, which were the most hardworking. How often were people going into work and how often were they checking out? I don't think that helped their case, this information coming out. Tell us a little bit about the data angle to all of this. This is, uh, this is one of the explainable patterns of why this is happening now. Uh, so uh, the Cyberspace Administration of China, the regulatory agency at the center of this uh, scandal or this development, was set up in 2011. It reports directly to the state council. In 2014, there was actually a steering group on cybersecurity and IT applications, which was headed uh, by the president himself. And, uh, you know, uh, in hindsight, his statement made at uh, that time sounds very prophetic because he said, I quote, Without cybersecurity, there is no national security. Without IT applications, there is no modernization. So this was Xi Jinping at the first meeting of the steering group. And uh, the one more uh, you know, factor is that the CAC is headed by a very close associate of Xi Jinping who worked with him extensively in Fujian province. So you know, it kind of ticks all the boxes that data regulation is a high priority for the Communist Party. And then we come to June 2017, when the Chinese cyber security law came into effect, which for the first time propounded this entire principle of cyber space sovereignty and, uh, you know, find the security obligations of Internet products and service providers and so on. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, the data security law, uh, which was published uh, last month, will take effect uh, in September this year. And this will actually focus on um, what kind of data can be processed within China or has to be processed within China, uh, cross-border data sharing and so on. So a lot of this detail is yet to come out. But uh, what I was trying to explain is in the last 10 years, uh, data regulation has been a priority for the Communist Party. So this is one of the patterns that uh, Alibaba and Alipay uh, and Didi, all these cases fit into this pattern that data is increasingly becoming a national treasure especially after COVID, I think uh, it has become the central focus of many businesses uh, to uh, uh, kind of develop their business model. 
That's a great point. And I think you're right in terms of how it ties together many of the other issues we've seen with other big tech companies. Looking more broadly, how do you think this is going to impact how all of us think of China's big tech companies? Are they being told in no uncertain terms that they can't just function as private companies in the way that we assume private companies function? We, of course, know that about China. But is that becoming more explicit now that they're being told that they have to be, to use the Chinese phrase, politically uh, in the right direction? Are they being forced to take a stand? And how is that going to impact how they are going to be seen outside of China? Yes. So if you zero in on the internet industry itself, uh, I think, again, there is a pattern there uh, where we can fit in this DD case, which is uh, basically what is the core competitive advantage that the Chinese uh, internet ecosystem offers? Uh, there are three things, I, I would say. One is uh, it provides ample scope for rapid experimentation and growth, uh, which is characterized by lax enforcement in the initial uh, days of any business model, whether it is WeChat or whether it's uh, Didi or Alipay. Uh, all of these uh, benefited immensely from uh, lax enforcement because when they're in a experimentation and growth stage, the government normally sits back and you know doesn't really interfere. And of course, the biggest advantage they had is access to foreign capital, because you must remember that all these internet giants in China have grown on the back of funding from the US. They have listed in the US, they have raised vast amounts of money from foreign investors like SoftBank and also listed on the US stock exchanges. So they have benefited from this gray area of the variable interest entity to have offshore structures and benefited from foreign capital. So after this, the next stage comes uh, a case of regulation. So when the Chinese government says that, okay, you have grown enough, you're big enough now, you're a global champion. And because of that, you're also a big player in China. And that is when the enforcement really starts and the state starts pushing back and the regulations start covering all the unoccupied uh, ambiguity. So this is what we're seeing. And uh, I think what has happened in the last one year, whether it is anti-monopoly investigations or the fines which were imposed on various companies, or the self-investigation which was imposed on more than 30 internet companies in China, and of course the recent clampdown on Didi. So they all fit into this pattern of what the Chinese internet uh, ecosystem has been going through. And Santosh, what do you think will happen going forward then in terms of Chinese companies that want to do IPOs and lists in the U.S.? Is the message that the Chinese regulators don't want them to do that and they want them to list in Hong Kong or Shanghai? Or is it that they want to be more closely involved in managing the process? If that's the latter, how is that going to affect how U.S. investors then look at these IPOs? Yes, so uh, the this trend of Chinese companies going for an IPO in the U.S. was uh, for a long time was a badge of honor that you know a Chinese internet company had matured enough to list on the New York Stock Exchange and even many state-owned enterprises uh, listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, uh, I think as of today, there are about 248 Chinese companies still listed in the US. So uh, this has been a very long-term trend. Uh, what will happen in the future? I think uh, it depends on which side of the uh, uh, equation you look at. From the US side, there have been concerns on lack of transparency. There is, in fact, a rule in China which makes it impossible for uh, the accounting watchdog in the U.S. to get access to auditing records of U.S. Uh, Chinese companies listed in the U.S. So, you know, under Trump administration, we saw various uh, announcements uh, which were then rolled back to some extent. 
So there is lack of transparency. Then there is the VIE structure which essentially means all the US investors who put in money into internet giants in China don't actually have any ownership of the underlying Chinese business. And then there is, of course, national security angle, which came, into for, came to the fore uh, in 2017, when China implemented its national intelligence law, which made it uh, compulsory for every Chinese company to cooperate with the Chinese government on national security issues. So all these collectively has uh, made it a very, very difficult proposition for the U.S. to continue promoting Chinese companies to be listed in the U.S. And on the Chinese side, now what has happened is uh, ever since the U.S.-China trade war broke out, uh, it's been uh, three, four years now, uh, there has been a sense that there has to be financial decoupling there's also an issue of national pride attacks saying, why should the Chinese domestic champions go to the US for listing? Isn't the Hong Kong Stock Exchange good enough? Isn't the Shanghai's new uh, star exchange good enough? Uh, uh, last year in July, we saw the biggest listing uh, of a semiconductor champion, Semiconductor Manufacturing International Corporation, SMIC, which listed on Shanghai. And the stock went up by 245% in five days. So this is the kind of news that the Chinese government wants to see, that uh, it has stock exchanges which are worthy of uh, these big ticket listings. So I think uh, going forward, it will be a very, very difficult proposition for a Chinese company to aspire for a U.S. listing. Fascinating. I think the tussle between big tech companies in China and the party regulators is far from over. I think it's an issue that we will keep coming back to. I'm sure, Santosh, we'll keep coming back to you as well. Thank you so much for really brilliantly breaking everything down for us today on the Hindu In Focus podcast. I'm sure we'll have you back. Thank you, Anand. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.